0: thanks again for being at grace we're glad that you're here with us and uh, thanks for braving the snow wonderful clean white snow everywhere don't you love it some of some of you are getting a little tired of it I can tell but uh but it's it's good stuff and we're glad that you're here. we appreciate Paulding joining us also we've noticed anytime there's any kind of weather we have people connecting with us by live stream over the internet so you're welcome to, even though you have the guts to drive in here. So anyway, great to see everybody. We're glad you're here. We've been in a series uh, called STEAM. And STEAM is really about the momentum for our Christian life. And a lot of times we, we understand that the Christian life can be kind of, kind of ebb and flow sometime. Uh, sometimes it, it seems to go smoother than others. And then other times we feel maybe a little more distant from God. And what brings that on? A lot of times, maybe most of the time, that distance from God comes as a result of us doing things wrong or where we feel like we have failed or we, it's not we feel we failed. we have failed God. We've done what we didn't want to do and, uh, and usually that involves self-control, having self-control to discipline ourselves to do the right thing and follow God more closely. And so that's what we're talking about today. In STEAM, we're talking about seeking self-control and what that means for our life. And really, everybody struggles with this, right? Everybody struggles with self-control in some area of their life. It might be your temper. Uh, It might be a lust issue. It might be, I mean, there's all these areas that we can struggle with uh, where we intend to do something, but then we, we don't actually accomplish it. That's the whole thing with diets, right? I mean, it seems easy. All we have to do is not eat something. But it doesn't turn out so easy. We, we struggle with that. And so how many of you would say, yeah, there's some area in my life where I struggle with self-control? and Because, I mean, there's a lot of areas. And if you can't think of a single area where you're struggling with self-control... Check your pride, because your pride's way out of control. And so that would be a good thing for you to to hone in on. But that's that's what we're talking about today. And Paul understood this, because Paul had the same type of struggles. Ignore the prop for now. But uh, Paul had the same kind of struggles. Here's what he said in Romans chapter 7. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. For the good that I want, I don't do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. Boy, I read a passage like that, and the first thing I think of is, Thank God for Paul. I don't know about you, but it's nice to hear, uh, here's this Christian leader saying, Wow, I'm struggling with things sometimes. That makes me feel a lot better when I struggle. But Paul has a lot more to say about self-control. And really, he's talking about this in the context of the Christian life. For example, when he wrote the letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said it another way. Here's the way he said. He said, Do you not know... That those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim... I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That's a picture of self-control in the Christian life. And Paul likens it to the Olympic Games that were happening back then. And he's saying just like a runner in a race or a boxer in a match hey you're not shadow boxing you're trying to place well-aimed blows you're not running aimlessly you're running toward the goal and he's saying that's the way the Christian life should be so I want to answer some questions Uh, we want to talk about what is real self-control how can we actually put that into practice in our life but the first thing the first question I want to answer is why is self-control so hard Why is it such a big issue? And in order to get to that, it goes all the way back to the beginning. God created us, and he actually created us as dependent beings that we would be dependent on him. Now, God is completely independent. As a matter of fact, God is the only independent being that exists. And he created us as dependent beings, meaning we depend on a lot of things. For example, we need air, right? We got to have air. We need water. We need food. We don't have these things. We die. God, on the other hand, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need water. He doesn't need air. He, he is completely independent. But we are created to be dependent on God But then something happened. And actually, at the very beginning in the garden, God created Adam and Eve. And then they experienced this perfect relationship with God. That's what this fountain represents. They're in the garden. They're with God. Every thirst is satisfied. They have no wants. They're perfectly content. They have perfect peace, contentment. Joy there with God. But then something broke that. And it's described for us in Genesis chapter 3. And I'd like to read that for you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, And so this very first temptation, what's happening is Eve is tempted, the very first temptation of people, Eve is tempted to tear away from God and be more independent, eating of the tree to know good and evil. And the illusion that comes along with that independence is that she will have self-control. As she knows good and evil, she'll have self-control, to do good but nobody has perfect self-control and so that brings the whole problem you see the temptation was to tear away from God and do be independent of God and do your own thing but as a result of that sin their fellowship with God their relationship was kind of broken And they were no longer in the garden. And and as they walked out of the garden, for the first time, Adam and Eve felt something was missing. For the first time in their lives, they felt incomplete. They no longer had that perfect contentment. That perfect peace. They walked out of the garden and they had this longing. This thirst in their soul. They knew something was missing. Maybe they couldn't even put their finger on it. They just knew something wasn't right. And you wonder how this played out in their relationship. I think I can take a stab at it. I've done enough counseling to know how this might have gone. Marriage counseling. It may have started this way. They're out of the garden. And then... One day Adam's kind of doing his business and he, and he sees Eve and he's just kind of struck by her beauty and he just stops and he says, Eve, you are a beautiful woman. He didn't really have anybody care, compare her to, but she's just one. But he says, You are a you are a beautiful woman. And for just that moment, Eve felt complete. Content, peace, they've been been torn away from God, but for just that moment, her thirst is quenched. The problem is, it's just not that much. And so it only lasts a minute. And then she's thirsty again. So she does what women do. She fixes her hair up, and she gets a new fig leaf, and she finds out where Adam's at. And, and then she goes, and she sort of walks in front of Adam. But Adam's busy. Adam's, you know, doing his garden, because they don't have God's garden anymore, and he's working, and he's doing this stuff. And then she walks by him again. And then all day long, she's kind of walking by him, and she's trying to get... His attention because she needs another drink. She's thirsty. Her soul is thirsty for something. And Adam, he just doesn't get it. And then finally she blows up. And she says, you don't love me. You don't care about me. You, you're a loser. And he's going, what? What did I do? I didn't do anything. That's, that's how it could have started. And same with Adam. He's working in his garden, and maybe he's working for weeks and months, and then at some point, he's finally got it just the way he wants it. I mean, every plant is where it should be. Things are growing. It's all right. Everything's good. And for just a moment, for just a little while, he looks at the garden, and it's like contentment, peace, satisfaction. Everything's good. And he goes to bed feeling great. And then he wakes up the next morning. He goes to the garden, and the deer have been in there, and they've eaten things, and they've trampled things down. And he's looking for a spear or something to take these deer out. He's mad. That's how it plays out in our lives. Every time we blow up at our spouse, every time you get angry with your husband or your wife, it's almost like you're saying, you're supposed to make me content. You're supposed to bring me satisfaction and peace, and you're not doing it. But actually, we were never designed to do that. And any contentment or peace that we bring... It's just a little bit. It doesn't last. It only quenches our soul thirst just for a moment. And then it's gone. And then we're looking for more or we're looking for something else. You see, that's what God is trying to teach us. We, we play around with drink and sex and ambition When God's offering us eternal joy, he's offering us eternal satisfaction. Only he can quench our thirst forever. But we keep looking in the wrong direction. And even Christians do this. And God's offering us so much more that it's so easy for us to miss out on because we don't even know that it's there. We just kind of get blinded. We keep catching ourselves Trying to quench our thirst with things when what we really need is God. So, the question is, if that's our condition, well, first of all, what is real self-control? I've been thinking about this all week. And I think self-control, it's different than willpower. Because I think of willpower as sort of all us. And I think what happens a lot of times when we do willpower is we come to this and, and we're here and we realize, hey, I, I've got to stop. You know, I, I'm addicted. To say, you know, it's smoking. Just whatever's got you, whatever you want the willpower to change. Say it's smoking. Hey, I don't want to smoke anymore. So we put that down. But what we actually do is we just pick up something else, overeating. And we just exchange one thing for another. We we put down maybe a a sexual addiction and we pick up being a workaholic. You see, willpower just gets us to stop one thing, but really we're just exchanging it for another thing as we try to quench our thirst. And we can stop one, but it just makes us more dependent on another. God has something better for us than that. It's, It's more than just willpower because real self-control, biblical self-control, has everything to do with our relationship with God. So how can we experience a real self-control? Well, we got to realize that this just isn't going to do it. No matter what your problem, no matter what you struggle with. Let's say a few months ago I was struggling with Um, an addiction to gambling. And I'm struggling with it, and I'm struggling with it, and I'm trying to put it out of my mind and and just not do it. And then Tim comes along, and he says to me, Kevin, I bet you a 100 bucks that you could never, while you're preaching a sermon, take a shot of something. And then for six months, I'm trying to figure out how to make that happen, how to work that into a sermon. (laughs) You know, that didn't happen, but I'm just saying... You know, if it did, I would be struggling with that. But we just replace things for other things because the struggle's still there. God wants more than that for us. God's created us to be dependent. It's just not on that. We're created to be dependent on God. And we keep looking to be dependent. We keep making ourselves dependent on other things, even though we don't intend to as we try to quench our thirst. I believe real self-control, if we want to experience it, the way scripture explains it to us, it really starts with a motivation, the right motivation, and specifically the motivation to be with God and to serve him. For example, that whole analogy that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that whole thing, as we look at it, it's in a context context. And really, the passage right before uh, 1 Corinthians 9 that I read has it's that passage where he's talking about winning all people. Remember the passage? Well, let me just read it for you. He says in verse 1 Corinthians 9:22. Remember, and you'll remember it at San Famir, because we talked about it not too long ago. He says, To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things. To all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Then the next verse is where we read from. "Do Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. That's how he leads into that. The whole context is him wanting to serve God and share the gospel and point other people to God. His life had purpose. His motivation was for God. So if we want real self-control in our life, first of all, we want to share that same motivation. We want to be motivated by God, not self but realizing that God has called us to a greater and higher purpose. And, and, and seek that out as we seek self-control. So, And it's not only our motivation it, that's, that real self-control involves. I believe it also involves repentance. You see, real self-control... ...never happens until we realize... ...we come to our senses and and realize... ...this will never satisfy. I will always have to belly up... ...for one more shot. And repentance means we turn away... ...from the way we tend to want to live... ...and we turn back to enjoy... ...life in relationship with God. And we not only do that when we become a believer... ...but as we live out our Christian life we will find ourselves attracted to the wrong things. And that's when we repent, meaning we turn from that, realize that that's never going to satisfy, and we turn back to God. It's a constant process that way. We've always got to keep our eyes on him. We, we can see this actually in a, in a passage of scripture that, that probably most of us know pretty well. John chapter 4 tells us the story of the woman at the well. Do you remember how that went? Jesus and his disciples, uh, they're traveling and they cut through an area called Samaria. And Samaria were people that believed differently than the Jews. They were kind of half Jewish and and they weren't liked by the Jewish people. But Jesus and his disciples are cutting through and they go near a town called Sychar and, and and they stop at a well outside of the town. And Jesus' disciples, they go into the town to buy some food. And Jesus stays at the well. And if you remember, as he's there, a woman from the town comes to draw water. And when she does that, Jesus is thirsty and he says, Hey, draw some water for me to drink. And she's kind of taken aback by the request. She's kind of like, how is it that you, a Jew, is asking me, a Samaritan, to give you water? And if you'll remember, Jesus' response it was very interesting because basically what he said is, he said, If you knew who was asking you for water, you would turn around and ask me for living, eternal water that could spring up in your soul. And she's like, Whoa. How could you give me? You know, the well's deep. You don't have anything to draw with. And he's saying, Hey, you come to me and I'll give you water that will quench your thirst forever. And if you remember her story, she kind of says, okay, well, give me the water then. And then the story takes a turn. He says "He says to her, go get your husband, which is kind of odd. Go get your husband. And then she replies, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, right, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she's like, whoa, this guy knows everything. And, and so she's thinking about that. But here's what he's saying. He's trying to get her to see that she's been quenching her thirst in the wrong area she's been trying. One day she no doubt fell in love, her and her husband, and they got married. And then... Everything was good. They enjoyed each other. And after that marriage, as her marriage started, ah, peace. Her thirst was quenched. But just for a moment. It's not that much. It doesn't last that long. And then it didn't work out. Things went south. They ended their relationship. And then she met another guy. And there was peace and something magical about it. And again, she came and she had another sip. And for a moment, things were right. But it didn't last. And then again, and again, and again. And then she gave up on marriage and she's with another guy. And again, not lasting. And Jesus is trying to bring her to the end of herself. Say, so if you want lasting satisfaction true contentment real peace Jesus, is saying it's only going to be found in me and she seems to grasp that if you know the rest of the story she goes to the town and he stays there a little while and jesus is talking about quenching our soul thirst have you ever have you ever Laid awake at night. Sometimes with, with this kind of longing in your soul. Where you just feel like something's missing. Something isn't right. Something's out of whack. Maybe it's a time when your life's in turmoil. Maybe everything's going great. And you're thinking, wow, it's going great. But I just thought it would be better than this. Or you're laying there, wow, my life's a train wreck. Or wow, I have this problem. Anytime we're laying awake at night. And, and it's like we have this thirst, like something's missing. It's not something that's missing, it's someone who's missing, and that is Jesus Christ in our life. And even as Christians, when we think that, it's because we're not focused on what Christ has for us, because he'll quench our thirst, he will satisfy us completely. As we focus on Jesus, we will experience his perfect. and that's really what he wants from from us you see self control involves turning and submitting to God we can only experience real self control when we're in connection with God it's easy to get distracted we were mentioning um, that we had been we took a team, Thailand, eight of us in the church went over and uh, Jeremy and Zach uh, were two of those that, uh, that went over with me. It's kind of funny because we've been home now a couple of weeks. And we're in staff meeting. And I notice that something's, you know, Zach's phone's just blowing up. You know, and it's maybe 11 o'clock in the morning. And we're meeting. finally, I'm just like, what's going on? You know, and, and he's telling me, he goes, Dad, I'm just getting a bunch of emails and, and stuff from the kids and the staff in Thailand. And so he's all connected in. It's kind of funny because he's talking to these kids and, and he's saying, hey, isn't it past your bedtime? It's like 1130 at night or something. And they're like, yeah, I'm in bed right now. Nobody knows I'm texting you. And then, he, then he's talking to the, the house mom, Nui, and then she's like, yeah, all the kids are in bed and asleep. And Zach's like, well, no, actually, they're not all asleep because three of them are texting me right now. You know, it's just weird how connected we can be you know, with our phones today, it's really just amazing because they have Wi-Fi there. It's just crazy. You know, we've always had the ability to be more connected to God. He's always with us. He's always there. He's always waiting for us to come to him, waiting to just acknowledge him, waiting to talk to him. You know, we got to have this connection. And that's why we want to focus on God, we, we want to not only know his presence, talk to him in prayer, Tim talked about that, read his word, come together as a church, we do all these things, why? To help our connection with God, that's, that's why we do Fight Club, and we're starting our third chapter of, of a men's ministry called Fight Club tonight, hence the wall, and uh, what is it? Really, it's just kind of, it's kind of like men's discipleship that fits us here at Grace, a little different. Because we're a little different, you know, and just kind of works for us. Where basically we challenge men toward, we we challenge them spiritually, their relationship with God. We challenge them in their relationships with other people that, that they're the way God would want them to be, like in their marriage and stuff. We challenge them intellectually that we'd be focusing on God. You know, and also physically. You know, that's part of it too. As a matter of fact, Paul writes uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline or self-control. That's what God wants for us. So how do we increase our self-control? How do we do it? Look what Paul says in another passage. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then he says, For bodily discipline is only of little profit. Physical exercise he's talking about. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So that's what we do all these areas physical little profit but profit but mainly we're disciplining toward godliness tonight at 10 o'clock men love to see you here not for everybody but if you're up for the challenge come and if you're thinking well it's going to be snowing I don't know if I can make it on, you probably wouldn't make fight club anyway so you know <laughs> that don't really matter but uh come and check it out if, if you didn't know about it and you're working and you can't get out of that or whatever, just contact us Monday, Tuesday. We'll, we'll get you hooked up. First assignment starts Wednesday, 12 weeks. Fight club. We'd love to have you. Fight club or not fight club. We want to rediscipline ourselves to follow God more closely in every area of our life. All of us should do that. That's the importance of coming together as a church. It's the importance of in taking God's word, as I said, Tim mentioned a couple of weeks ago, connecting to God through prayer. Realizing that when we're experiencing this longing in our hearts, that God's there to quench that. That's His intention. That's what He's there for. And, and if you're if you're a person that you're new here, and you're kind of tracking with everything, and so I started talking about Fight Club, and then you're thinking these guys are insane. You know, this makes no sense to me. Yeah. Just forget all that and just remember this. Here's what I have to say to you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, first of all, God loves you. God has created you. He knows you perfectly. Everything about you. And he loves you. But you have to know something. He created you to really be dependent on him. But all of us have pulled away from that to try to satisf- find satisfaction in all these other things in life. It's all just temporary. It all only lasts a minute. And he's calling us to a relationship with him. And there, with a relationship with God through Jesus, you will find perfect peace, contentment, and joy He's just waiting for you to come to him. Waiting for you to repent, turn away from the way you've been doing life and embrace Christ and what he's done for you. If you want to know more about that, we'd love to talk to you. We we have this room right here called room one above the door. Just find your way in there. I'll be there. I'd be happy to talk with you for five seconds or five minutes or however long you want. Just, you can set the pace. But a relationship with God's the most important decision you'll ever make. It's interesting, because in the ministry of Christ, Jesus was at one of the festivals, the Jewish festivals they had, called the the Feast of Tabernacles. And here's what he said in John 7, verse 37. He said, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from this innermost being, from his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. And what Jesus is talking about there, he's talking about the coming Of the Holy Spirit and he's saying, he's reminding us that when we turn to Christ. That these deep longings in our heart now can be completely satisfied and filled. And along with forgiveness comes the Holy Spirit into our life. That helps us live our life in relationship with God. And reminds us we need to turn away and convicts us to keep coming back to God. Don't miss that greatest gift that will quench your every thirst. Let's stand together for prayer. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for loving us, creating us. You you own us, but you don't force us into a relationship with you. Lord, somehow you allow us to have the dignity as free people to choose to follow you. And and we know we can only do that with your help. And Father, knowing that uh, as we meet together in church, even on a snowy day, there are probably many people in this room who who may have considered themselves Christians uh, or may have gone through some stuff, a baptism or a church attendance somewhere, but they're really not. Connected to you through your son. And they don't experience the satisfaction that you offer. Just like all of us were. Because we've all been in the same boat. God, first of all, we pray that you would uh, grab the hearts of the people who aren't in relationship with you. and, And pull them to yourself. Help them to see Lord, help our church to be a tool for them to learn and grow closer to you and cross that line of faith. And Father, for those of us who are believers, God, that we we stumble around, we waste our lives on trivial things. We try to find satisfaction in what you've already told us will never satisfy. And we keep drifting that way. God, help us to be intentional, purposeful. Help us to run the the race, with the goal in mind. Help us to have well-aimed blows to accomplish our purpose, Lord, and find our way back to you. God, help us to seek out real self-control that we can only find in you. And God, we thank you for the satisfaction and the contentment and the joy that you bring into our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.